Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Adjust Your Lenses podcast. Today is yet another great day for you to be joining me. As always, I am your host. My name is Samuel. I'm here to speak with you as we unpack, uncover, and discover truths. Then we restore, replenish, and rebuild each other as we continue to do what? Adjust our lenses. (laughs) Today is already a great day because you are here listening. I invite you to do a quick self-check of where your lens is right now and consider what is influencing your line of sight and vision. All right, let's get to it. Black men, I'm tired. This has been a rough few days, y'all. It really has. I mean, I just got back from celebrating a good friend, a brother, my family's wedding out on the West Coast. Yes, yes, yes. All the necessary precautions were taken. All right. It was a great celebration. And I'm humbled by it. I'm humbled to have been, you know, a part of that. Because the date of the wedding actually coincides with a very important date in my life now. Because as it's, you know, its meaning has now evolved into the concept of ending the beginning and the beginning and the end. See, I know I should be all, you know, philosophical and whatnot right now. But I'm sure y'all get it, right? <laughs> See, when I started adjusting my lessons, it wasn't just one of those ideas that's been sitting dormant for like mad long. And you know what I mean? Just sitting there. It was something that was birthed out of a cataclysmic shift that occurred in my life. Now, I don't know about y'all and how y'all adjust y'all lenses, but mine are adjusted each day. Literally, not only figuratively, but literally. I adjust my lenses during my personal time with God each day. But I also try to make it a point to shift my energy and focus back on some of the things that made me who I am. So, for instance, at the end of last year, right, things has gotten to a head with all the things going on in the world. In this country, specifically around the racial issues, you know what I'm saying, that this country was going through. The police brutality happening in Nigeria with the NSARS movement, political issues, my own personal issues and battles that were compounding. Issues just everywhere. See, all of that and then some forced me to be still. But I have to admit that it took a cataclysmic wake-up call for me to be still. It didn't just happen on my own volition. And at the time, I felt so much shame, embarrassment, fear, more fear, more fear. And anger and disappointment and pain and pressure and more fear, more fear. <laughs> Y'all get it. See, there was so much happening internally that I knew I needed to shut out the world for a moment. And I did, you know, I did for a few months and it worked. I came back with a new sense of vigor and renewal, a new fire that I had been forgotten about. And it fueled me. It's still fueling me now. Now, it hasn't been without turbulence, trust and believe. It's actually had a fair bit of that. <laughs> and I'm probably using turbulence because I just got off the plane a few days ago. But you know what I'm saying, right? I'm glad that events like this happen in our lives to force us to make those major lens adjustments. All intensive purposes, man, from the outside looking in, I was doing all right. My passion for equity and justice had never been more on fire. I was engaging more and more with others and really trying to push the narrative through all the different means that I could, including engaging my own early learning because there's always more to learn. There's always more to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. Of course, as it relates to issues of social justice, it doesn't have to be your thing, but it definitely helps if it is. You see, it's my thing. And it's been my thing since I learned just how important it is in my early teen years. 2020 only brought forth what had already been and is still similar in the background with a lot of things that's related to social justice in this country. See, at this point, nearly a full year later, as expected, 
the conversations have ceased in a lot of places. Performative things have happened, like statements and donations to causes, but the acts that actually carry purpose and have yielded to a need for rest and respite in the face of a pandemic that a lot of people would rather move on from at this point. My time shutting things out was necessary. It was needed for sure. And to be honest, the guilt I felt at times knowing that while I was quote unquote away, right? I mean, proverbially away, not actually away, right? Cops didn't stop killing black people. It didn't happen. Right now, as we speak, the Derek Chauvin murderer of George Floyd trial is happening. The outcome of that case is going to be at minimum a talking point and potentially could have some serious ramifications. Breonna Taylor's murderers are still free. And yeah, we've basically moved on from that one too. And just a couple days ago, man, DMX, a musician, an artist, a man of God. Yeah, I said it, a man of God who I really connected with passed on from an apparent overdose. He'd had ongoing battles with drugs and alcohol and other things, man, from a very, you know what? Actually, let me stop. Not troubling. Or I should say not troubled, but a troubling childhood and upbringing. See, we, we got to rename things sometimes, right? Right? Like kids, kids who come up in troubling circumstances shouldn't be labeled troubled. Why do we call them troubled kids? Because they didn't bring that on themselves, right? Or did they? Is that how we feel? Like kids brought those troubling circumstances or those troubled situations and traumatic situations on themselves. Is that what we're really saying? So why do we label kids like that? Is it their fault that they're in those circumstances and situations? Nah, it ain't. Anyway, I digress. DMX had a lasting impact on me for real. A huge one. Particularly in my first 10 years of living in the U.S., he was by far my favorite rapper. Mainly because of the way he displayed his belief and faith in God. See, he struggled with a lot, and I mean a lot, because he was fighting traumas and pain that he didn't necessarily put on himself. But he also didn't know how to necessarily dismantle those things, right? See, some of those things are lifelong battles. Like, I don't want anybody to ever get it twisted. <laughs> For some things, they are a necessary lifelong battle. See, people get it twisted all the time, right? Having Jesus means that you can overcome, but the level to which you overcome is dependent on the depth of your relationship with Jesus. Just like in any relationship, there's levels to this. And for sure, DMX was struggling with some demons that if you don't starve them, like if you don't starve your demons, <laughs> I'm going to say that one more time. If you don't starve your demons, like don't entertain them at all in any way, shape or form, they will hinder you in all aspects of your life. Trust me, I know. See, I couldn't imagine being DMX, being on top of the world for a whole season. His was definitely more than a season. I remember like 98, 99, 2000. I mean, X was that dude. Literally having the world at your feet and commanding the attention of everyone at that time. He was and is nearly irreplaceable, an irreplaceable act. His brilliance is unmatched because everything felt so raw. So powerful, so real, and you could feel his pain through the lyrics. You could feel the ebbs and flows, the highs and lows, the peaks and valleys, and the pinnacles. I, I just, I, that was that was me trying to be like DMX. <laughs> I used to sneak listen to DMX at home, and of course, my mom wasn't having it. She would find my CDs and throw them out. 
I couldn't even listen to X freely in my house. Man, did listening to X cost you something? Because it cost me something. <laughs> when I was outside, man, I listened to it as much as I could, knowing that I couldn't truly impersonate him. You feel me? Like, I tried, but that growl just wasn't easy to get. <laughs> yes, I did just growl. Yes, it is my podcast. Yes, I could do that. <laughs> man, there was nobody out that sounded anything like X. And then the prayers. Whoo! How he would talk about God and talk to God? I just knew there was much more to him than just the music, man. That man knew how to rock the mic. And that part just spoke to me, right? Because as a preacher's kid, listen, I felt like he was the perfect juxtaposition for who I was, who I was, for real. Anyway, Axe was imperfect, but so are we. The main difference is he was rich and famous, and he had cameras following him everywhere he went. <laughs> what would your life show if cameras was following you? Trust and believe. For me, up until recently, and even now, if cameras was following me, I'm sure that there will be some unsavory things that they would, you know, maybe not want to show, right? Like things we wouldn't be so comfortable with, you know what I mean, being out there. Anyway, in X's imperfection, he showed us that true strength lies in the ability to be visibly vulnerable. Yeah, visible vulnerability. Is something that's extremely difficult to portray and depict. Because by nature, we are protective of ourselves, our emotions, our lives, our truths, our lies, our ugliness, our pains, our sorrows, our lows. Because, of course, we care so much about what people think that if they, as if they don't have all that too, found out about us, right? Then, of course, we're something less than human, right? Or at least that's the way society has convinced us it is. I mean, how else can we codify DMX's visible vulnerability the truth to me though is that it's exactly what made him strong see his strength came from the fact that we were able to see his flaws his demons his battles his fight his struggle his fits the stronger he became the more he shared his flaws his humanity his personhood his visible vulnerability and see, a lot of us, myself included, we can take a page out of DMX's visible vulnerability. Yeah, by the way, I just made that up. Visible vulnerability. Okay? <laughs> I'm taking that one to the bank. <laughs> nah, but for real. There's nothing hidden before God anyway. And I mean nothing. DMX's prayers were heard in heaven. Trust me when I say that. As somebody who prays, I can tell you that God does not just see us right? He sees us in a way that we don't see each other and we don't see ourselves. He sees us differently. And if only we could somehow take some time to begin really looking at ourselves the way God looks at us, our lives would be a lot different. I promise you. We all have struggles and pain. And that's what makes us human. Literally, the human experience is about how we express emotion, receive emotion, internalize emotion, and process emotion. That's all it is. The quicker we understand that, the better it is for us to actually live a life fulfilled. Peep the difference right there, right? See, I didn't say a fulfilled life. Yeah, it's because it's more about a life fulfilled. Yup, taking that one to the bank too. A life fulfilled, not a fulfilled life. Ching, ching. <laughs> nah, but for real though. See, a life fulfilled is more about how you serve others. 
how you make the environment that you're in a better place because it has little to do with riches, glory, glamour, material things, and so on and so forth. But the more you serve others and are acts of service to others, like you are an actual act of service to other people, the more your life is fulfilled. It's not just about a fulfilled life. See, I don't want a fulfilled life that is not 100% incorporated in service to others because that life is not a life fulfilled at all. It doesn't matter what sector, industry, or job you do. There are natural and otherwise opportunities to be in service and of service to others. See, that's where a life fulfilled comes in very differently from a fulfilled life. A lot of us are fulfilled by things that don't make an impact. Sleep is very fulfilling, but is it necessary? I mean, is it as necessary as rest? Think about it for a second. See, rest is quite different from sleep. But I'm not going to get into all that right now. Y'all get the point, right? Let's get ready to live lives fulfilled rather than chasing fulfilled lives that are empty in calories. Calories of knee-jerk reactions, unhealthy emotional appetites, gorging on attachments that only provide temporary relief and respite but nothing long-lasting. See, DMX was trying to become a better human being in so many ways that I can truly say I am grateful for his life and definitely grateful for his willingness to be openly vulnerable and for all to witness the glory that came of it. Yes, I said glory. He was a blessing to so many over the years because the truth is we all have a little or like some of us a lot of dmx in us okay see i had to talk about dmx because of the impact he had on me personally and i know that he had a huge impact on others as well Whew. now this week has been bittersweet coming back from celebrating my brother's beautiful union watching him love on his wife I mean, it's just incredible. To have been a part of that experience was amazing. To having a deal with DMX's passing, right? We found out while we was out there. And then two cases of police brutality. See, it's a juxtaposition going on inside of me because I'm revitalized and enraged at the same time. I'm intersectional right now. Like, I'm intersectional all the time, but the intersections of rage and revitalization are happening. It's a war. See, I'm absolutely enraged because this just doesn't end. And the fact that we've become so desensitized to the news of black men and women being killed by police captured on video is exactly a part of the plan. Yes, I said plan. White supremacy has a multitude of plans. Making it normal to watch these videos, which I've stopped watching, by the way, and basically excuse them one way or another, and even go as far as to make excuses for the trained officers that carry the badge or are sworn to protect and serve, serve and protect, but don't seem to do that consistently for black men is more than problematic. See, working in education for nearly a decade, man, I've seen how police operate in many different ways and spaces. And I can't say that all my experiences have been negative, honestly, because that would be a lie. So it's not about the whole bad apples, you know what I'm saying? Oh, bad apples for a bunch. It's not about that rhetoric. Do I believe that policing will be abolished? No. I'm going to say that one more time. No. <laughs> Do I believe society can work and operate without it? Yes. In its current form, absolutely. Public safety is not reliant on police. I'm going to say that one more time for the people in the back, people in the front, people on the side. Public safety is not reliant on police and policing. You shouldn't have to call 911 if your cat is stuck in a tree. 
You shouldn't have to call 911 if someone is having a mental and emotional episode. You shouldn't have to call 911 if somebody's walking around your neighborhood and you deem them suspicious. In fact, you shouldn't call 911 at all for that because that typically ends badly for black people. <laughs> Facts. You shouldn't have to call 911 because you see a kid playing with a toy gun in the park. R.I.P. to Tamir Rice. Killed by police in Cleveland at 12 years old. And why, 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 why is it that we've accepted the fact that it's okay for cops to be the ones nervous in these situations? I mean, come on. Implicit bias? Explicit bias? Stereotypes? You name it. What, what training are, are they doing? You have a club, a taser, a pepper spray, and a gun, but somebody who has none of those things is overwhelming? Like, to you? Come on now. And their life gets taken? See, the notion that we've actually accepted that is ludicrous to me. So, here we are. On Sunday, I think it was Sunday. It might have been before that. We find out that 2nd Lieutenant Karan Nazario was pepper sprayed four times after a traffic stop in December, supposedly due to an identified license plate which had temporary tags on it. As he just purchased the car. It's a Chevy Tahoe, I think it was. The officer claimed that he didn't see the plates, but footage showed otherwise. Though this case happened in December, we're just now finding out about it last week. He was threatened by two Virginia policemen that they would ruin his military career, right? They would hate to tell his commander about these crimes that he's committed, and they were gonna trump up these charges and were gonna destroy him, right? These threats are not the worst of it, though. They tried to silence him and legit threaten his life. They approached him, guns drawn and all. I've had guns drawn on me. And let me tell you something. I will, I will never forget that day, no matter what. And I had guns drawn on me for fitting the description. Y'all get it, right? You know, black male, five, between five feet and seven feet, dark light clothes, blue, purple, orange, yellow jeans, whatever it may be, hoodie, no sweater, no t-shirt, running, walking, jumping, skipping, doing somersaults down the freeway, legit, all encompassing. I mean, come on. It's tragic and it's crazy. And this man legit did nothing wrong. And I'm sure if he wasn't wearing his army uniform, that scenario turns out differently. Nazario, a black and Latino uh, man, drove for one minute, 40 seconds, to pull into a gas station because he didn't want to be in an area that wasn't well lit. That's where we are. Black people are so scared, are so afraid of police that they are risking it all just to be in an area where there's lights because they don't want to be pulled over somewhere else. Like, come on. Are you serious? Luckily, Lieutenant Nazario made it out of that experience with his life. But what if he'd gotten pulled over where the light was or originally where um, the officer turned his lights on rather than the gas station? What if he wasn't wearing his military uniform? What if he didn't record the encounter on his cell phone? You know what? None of that matters, man. The real question is, what if he wasn't black? See, if he wasn't black, does he even get pulled over? Mm, likely not. Does he get wrestled to the ground? Nope. Does he get pepper sprayed? I doubt it. Is his life and career threatened? Mm, that's a no. Is there an attempt to silence him? Absolutely not. 
I'm going out on a limb and saying no to all these things because what we know to be true is that these things just aren't happening to white men in military uniforms, period. Okay. And now we have the latest one. Dante Wright in Minnesota. Now, this is their third high-profile killing of a black man after Philando Castile was shot in the passenger side of his car, seatbelt on, compliant with officers, girlfriend filming the whole thing, live streaming it on Facebook, three-year-old baby girl in the backseat watching this whole thing, and somehow the officer still felt like he was under threat in that case. It makes no sense to me, and it shouldn't make no sense to you either. If it does... You need to do a little bit more or a lot more than just adjust your lenses. You need to adjust your heart. Your heart might need a pulse check because maybe, just maybe, you're not living on this planet Earth anymore. And then there's George Floyd, the inflection point. Oh, and uh, I'm not talking about black women today on purpose because black women deserve their own conversation. So yeah, George Floyd's murdered by Derek Chauvin, currently on trial, only 10 miles down the road from where Dante was killed? That was the huge inflection point last year. And see, for the first time, it seemed like the country and the world was finally starting to get that this police brutality thing is for real. There were protest statements and the term DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, took on a whole new different meaning, right? See, equity is now the latest and greatest buzzword. Companies that have been knew that they perpetuated racist practices now started creating all types of initiatives. Some decided to create policies and some just decided to create positions just to say they did something. Do I sound cynical? I'm sure I do. But let's face it. Since the death of George Floyd, what actual, tangible changes have occurred? nationwide in policing none there have been some cities here and there to make some changes defund the police took off as a mantra defund the police took off as a mantra right but even that got shut down like we knew it would see this is a struggle y'all it's a real struggle see my biggest issue right now is it's the wave when you have an issue that's like this, that's rooted in racism, as policing was birthed out of the slave patrols, it's real, real important to know that the foundation of something is that thing. Let's stop faking. The people who decided to maintain the slave patrols for as long as they did over 150 years had one thing in mind, capture the enslaved at all costs. And if for whatever reason death were to occur to that enslaved, it was settled by an exchange of money. And that was that. How then do we say that something that lasted for over 150 years and we can argue, legitimately argue, that it continued after the abolition of slavery as part of the KKK's work was anything other than foundational to what we see right now going on with police brutality? The correlation is too direct. It's too crazy. Give me the standard deviation. Let me see it. I can show you the bell curve. Now we're here. In this place, wondering, searching, trying to find the right way to deal with what has been put in front of our kids as normal to watch cops kill black men and get away with it for the most part with one excuse or another. The real question is, how much longer do we think this will last before we have a 
problem. Because the reality is, that's where we're heading. See, I get calling for calm and asking people to be peaceful. That's all cool and all, right? It's the right thing to do. I'm with it. Every single time, ask for calm. Ask people to be, to be peaceful. We don't need no more loss of lives, right? Right? We don't need no more loss of lives. Except that there's going to come a point where that's just not going to work. We can't sit here and act like we can continue like this. It's literally not possible. Human nature doesn't work that way. This is not politics. This isn't sociology. This is not science. This is not about being a law-abiding citizen either. This is about what it means to know that at any moment, your life can be taken and it will be considered justified because the person has a badge. No, I'm not anti-cop. Why would I be? I want to make that clear, but the system is working exactly as it was designed. And what I know to be true is that God don't like ugly. See, it's insanity to think that this can continue and there won't be some type of response at some point. And I don't want us to get to that point. In fact, I really want us to make sure we don't get to that point. So it's time for people to step up. CEOs have to step up. And the way they do that is by affecting their bottom line. See, as long as they keep getting richer, there's no incentive for them to make any changes. Businesses, organizations, all of the above have to step up. People have to not rest. We can't let this become a, well, I need to enjoy my summer situation, right? Of course, take care of your mental, your emotional, your physical. Unplug, detach. But don't stay detached. Don't stay away. We need you. We need you. Yes, you. Yes, and you too. For real, we need you. This is everyone's fight. And the only reason I'm not going harder right now is because I'm trying to do better with not allowing my raw emotions to take over me in this situation. But for real, I'm tired, y'all. And you know what? <laughs> let that tiredness turn into exasperation. And let that exasperation turn into a collective hopelessness and we have a serious problem on our hands I'm going to repeat that let that tiredness turn into exasperation and let that exasperation turn into a collective hopelessness and we have a serious problem on our hands see what I'm suggesting is this we might be closer to that than a lot of people think. Right now, things are still tempered. But do we want to wait until they're not? I mean, what is it going to take? Are we just okay with it the way it is? I mean, what are we really saying here? This is one of those major adjustments I've alluded to, right? I talk a lot about 1% changes make up the whole sum. And yes, that is absolutely true. But this is not going to take a 1% change. This takes a major change. Part of that major change is a mindset shift, a policy shift, an economic shift. It's going to take a lot of different shifts, and they're not 1% changes. They're monumental changes. 
If the entire NBA said, we're not playing another game this season until this is addressed, I promise you, things will start changing. All those white owner billionaires will make changes. If the NFL players, that's like 75, 80% black, say, we're not playing another game until this changes. And some of y'all are like, um, well, but why are we talking about athletes? Okay, cool. If people said, we're not going to work, I know that sounds wild, right? But imagine that. We're not going to work until this changes. What are the CEOs, the chairman, and everybody else going to do? The presidents. And I know that sounds wild. That sounds crazy. Is it possible? Does it make sense? Is it reasonable? Well, how am I going to get fed? Uh, who, who, you know, am I going to get fired? What if I lose my job? So I want to ensure I leave this earth better than it was. And as things continue to get worse with this stuff, man, it's like, what does that actually mean at this point? Here's the problem. The alternative is way worse. This is where if you're not black, you need to check your allyship for real. Are you an ally because you posted a black square last year? Are you performative? For those who don't know what that means, performative is being like, I'm going to repost this thing. I'm going to post a black square. And that's the extent of all I do. You don't check the racism in your own family, among your friend groups, and so on and so forth. I mean, are you actually about that life? Because like I said, where we're going, man, things ain't looking too good. If we're talking about environmental justice, but you can't talk about Black Lives Matter. <laughs> if you're an evangelical, you, you want to be pro-life, but you're silent on racial justice. Um, can the real Christians please stand up? Because you can't be about Jesus and be silent. That both damn Gene, who was a choir leader and was eating ice cream on his couch when he got shot. Nah. Where was the outrage from the Christian? No matter the fight, if black lives don't matter, then your fight is missing the elephant in the room. And that elephant is only growing bigger and bigger. See, we got to get to a point where every conversation that's not centered around race and racism doesn't make sense. And you might be like, well, that's overkill. That's too much. Everything's not about, ah, actually, in this country, because of white supremacy, it is. There's definitely always a through line. There's a way that it connects. And it's not that hard. You don't got to reach that far. Like, I, I just got my first Moderna vaccine shot just yesterday. When I was up in there, everybody at the spot that was security and like running around collecting the pens and um, the clipboards and getting people to fill out information and all that kind of stuff, it was all black. Everybody that was actually like, you know, dispensing the information, running the joint, running the situation, was not. Okay. Oh, 
Samuel, that's a reach. I mean, people got to work, right? You know what I'm saying? You don't know if that's all they do, right? Okay, cool, cool, cool. I got you. I was there for mm, two hours. I was probably one of, uh, mm, I think I counted six black people. Maybe seven. There might have been some before I got there. But I was there when they shut it down because they ran out of doses. How come so many black people ain't getting the vaccine? It's rooted in white supremacy and racism. Again, because of the trust or lack of trust in the system, in the government, due to things like the Tuskegee trials, where people were duped by the government to sign up for these trials, but instead they were being given injections of syphilis and other diseases. See, again, people are like, oh, well, black people don't want to be vaccinated. I mean, but you don't know the history. You don't know the problems. You don't know the issues. You haven't done your homework. Do your homework. All these things tie together. And what I'm suggesting again is this. If we continue to let this go the way it is, we are asking for problems. We're asking for issues. And please miss me with the black on black crime nonsense. Crime is committed by people who are in your approximate location. Simple, period. I need that same energy with the opiate crisis. When y'all called the crack crisis an epidemic and y'all put black people in prison because they were on drugs. But yet, you got centers open all over the country so that people could literally shoot themselves with drugs, quote-unquote, safely. And don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that it's not a real thing. I've encountered people whose entire cities and towns have been ravaged by the opioid crisis. It's sad. All I want is that same kind of energy as it relates to black people. Black men, this is not a cry for you to stand up. You already know you need to stand up. You already know you need to step up. You already know that. But standing up and stepping up is not going to save you when you're driving down the street in a brand new car with temporary tags in your army uniform and your life gets threatened and you get pepper sprayed. It's not going to save you when you have air freshener, air freshener, air freshener on your tail and you get pulled over for air freshener. I mean, come on. I love y'all. I love y'all for real. Black Lives Matter. 
Thank you again for joining me on the Adjust Your Lenses podcast. It is always a pleasure to have you. I am honored and humbled by everybody who listens. <laughs> I look forward to hearing your feedback and your comments. Please, please, please hit that subscribe button. I invite you to keep adjusting your lenses as we continue on this journey to unpack, uncover, and discover truths and to restore, replenish, and rebuild each other. Until next time, peace and love.